morning. Thank you. Um, great to see you all this morning. Really great to be continuing our series Inside Out, which is uh, which is what we've been doing in, on Sundays and in small groups as well. Um, if you're joining us for the first time this morning, great. It's still great for you to uh, be part of this as well. Going to be really. Um, good to continue this journey together. So over the last few weeks, we've been exploring um, developing healthy rhythms. And last week, we looked at how we can be different together in terms of our race and ethnicity. And that's such an important conversation that we are so committed to continuing. Today, we're exploring another one of those easy subjects. We're talking about sexual wholeness. Now, many of us find sex very difficult to talk about, don't we? It's right up there with politics, religion, money. And there are probably many different reasons for that. Um, And yet, I think it's incredibly important for our discipleship, for our formation, and, you know, how we go about living our lives. Um, We're going to dive right into the Bible this morning. So we're going to start by reading from Genesis 2 um, and verse 19. Um, so let, if you've got a Bible there, why don't you turn to that? It'll cut, the words will come up behind me as well. Um, but we're going to start reading from verse 19. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. she, She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. I'm going to leave it there for now. Um, That last verse really strikes me. You know, Adam and Eve were naked, but they felt no shame. Not just physically, they were completely comfortable with themselves, with one another and with God. They had nothing to hide and were completely at ease. Now this, I believe, is an invitation for all of us, indeed for all humanity, that we too might live without shame. And yet we only have to look around us. We only have to look at the news this week, don't we, to see that the world is completely broken. But as followers of Jesus, we believe there's hope. And we want to live with integrity in this area, regardless of our marital status, gender, ethnicity, or age. Now, if you're here and you wouldn't yet call yourself a follower of Jesus, firstly, you are so welcome. But I believe this is an invitation for you as well. Jesus invites you into a life of abundance, a life without shame. So what does it mean to be sexually whole? I want to take time to explore this today. Um, sorry, I'm just using a different device. Uh, yeah, we, we want to take time to explore this today. So just some, unpack some truths from what we've just read. And I want to explore some helpful foundations for us today. And I really hope what I share is helpful for us all. 
Now, before I go any further, I just want to say I'm, I'm really indebted to the wisdom of Rich Villadas. He wrote this book that we've been journeying through a little bit, The Deeply Formed Life. I'd highly recommend that book. Um, and I've taken a lot of stuff from him today, which has been really helpful. So Rich Villadas, in his book, he defines sexual wholeness as the prayerful integration of our spirituality and sexuality, resulting in deep, satisfying relationships with others that roots out shame, cultivates vulnerability, and leads to healthy bonding. I love that. Relationships that root out shame, cultivate vulnerability, and lead to healthy bonding. I, I don't know about you, but I need more of that in my life today. So I want to start by sharing three truths from this story. And the first is this, that sexuality is part of God's creation. Now, I don't know if, if this, this resonates with you, but sometimes we talk about it, sex in whispers, don't we? I know as soon as I mentioned it this morning, there were a few little giggles maybe and a few, few whispers. It's something that we often think of as perhaps bad even. And yes, humanity has abused sex, but sex came before sin and before the fall. Sex is good. It's part of God's creation. Verse 24, we read that they became one flesh. Verse 25, they were naked and felt no shame. And the whole early chapters of Genesis paint a perfect picture of how things were meant to be. A perfect world, perfect God, and perfect relationships. They were naked but not ashamed. The second truth I want to pull out is that we were all created for connection and intimacy. Humanity is created in God's image. If we jump back a chapter to Genesis 1.26, it says, let us make, make mankind in our image. Note the use of us and our. This isn't just God the Father. This is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are created out of a relationship. Chapter 2, verse 7 tells us that God breathed into Adam and he became a living being. He was created by God, but there's also that need for human connection to thrive. Chapter 2, verse 20 tells us that there was no one suitable for Adam to connect with. And so God created Eve, which means we live in this beautiful circle of divine love with God and with others. You see, each one of us has this deep need and desire to connect with other people. And, and many in society have taken this deep need for connection and decided that the only way that we can ultimately meet this need is in the physical act of sex. But I believe it's so much more than that. Rich Villadas says that when we do this, when, we, when, we, when it plays out in, in, in the physical act of sex, we dangerously open ourselves up to meet a need that doesn't require us to take off our clothes. Deborah Hirsch, um, author, and, uh, puts it like this. She says, sexuality can be described as the deep desire and longing that drives us beyond ourselves in an attempt to connect with, to understand that which is other than ourselves. We have this deep desire to connect with people beyond ourselves. Essentially, it is a longing to know and be known by other people, and that's on a physical, emotional, psychological, and spiritual level. We have a longing to know and be known. You know, sex is the most vulnerable way we can express ourselves to another person. 
We read in those verses, a husband leaves his mother and father and is united in one flesh. It's such a powerful force that needs a context strong enough to protect it. And that's why marriage is so important. And the third truth is this. We all experience shame. We leave verse 25. I don't know if you notice this, but we have this perfect picture of freedom. They were both naked and felt no shame. And this is an invitation for us all, married or single, old or young, to live vulnerable lives, free from shame, free from comparison, free from feeling, from feeling embarrassed about our bodies, free from the need to cover up and to hide. But we know how the story goes. Adam and Eve rebel. They want life on their own terms. And they attempted um, by the serpent to eat from the tree of life. And there's an immediate change. Let's pick up the story in, in chapter 3 from verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Do you see that immediate change? Immediately their eyes are opened to their brokenness, to their own nakedness, and to their shame. They hide from one another, and they hide from God. There's a reality that when sin comes, shame so often follows after. And when shame comes, we turn away from others. And whether consciously or unconsciously, we say, I am bad. I am worthless. I am no good. And the more we say this, I think the more we believe it. And it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy in our lives. I, I can never be good enough. I can never get myself unstuck from this unhelpful habit or behavior. I can never change how I live my life. You know, we all experience shame in different ways and at different types and at different times. But God invites us into a life marked by freedom. Now, I said at the, at the beginning that it's not easy to talk about sex. We'd far rather outsource these conversations. But the problem is that when we do that, these conversations take place unfiltered in workplaces, in pubs, in classrooms and playgrounds, and so many of the ideas and frameworks that we put in place aren't grounded in good teaching. They lack discipleship. They lack relationship. They, it means we have a broken perspective on what it means. And I think many of us live with a great deal of shame because of our own sin and because of the things that people have done to us, because of the things that we've done ourselves. And so we have a really hard time navigating through this by having helpful conversations. But there is good news for us this morning. And I hope these foundations that I'm going to share now help us to have some good conversations with one another. Now, a really important place to start, and I think this is critical, is by recognizing that we are all sexually broken. Let me just take a sip of water. Now, you may be sat here thinking, this talk isn't for me. It's for other people. Or maybe you're thinking, I am so broken compared to everyone else around me. How could I begin to have this conversation? 
But the truth is that we are all broken. And we live in a world that is broken. It started with the fall in Genesis 3, but we only need to look around us to see the incredible brokenness in this area of sexuality in our own society today. Um, I, I personally, I, I was so heartbroken when I read the story of, uh, about Child Q this week. I don't know if anyone else was struck by that, but this was the black schoolgirl who was strip-searched at school because she was wrongly accused of carrying cannabis. I, I, I just don't have the words to just explain what's going on there. And I say this as a white man who has never had to and never will probably have to experience this kind of abuse. It is wrong. I'm just upset. I'm angry. But we pray for change. We pray. We want to see that shift. Can I, can I just take a moment just to pray for this situation? Because I just think it's, it's just wrong. Look, Jesus, we know that you stand with those that are broken. So I pray right now, wherever child Q is, that you would be so very close to her. We are, as a, as a representative of society, I just want to say, you know, what has gone on there is just so wrong. It is not okay that these kind of things happen. And we pray for a world where things would shift, that things would change. That where there is evil, would you root it out in the name of Jesus? Where things that have been done wrong would be made right again. So we lift up Child Q. We lift up her family and all those supporting her. And we pray freedom for her. We pray that your will would be done. In the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, there are extreme cases like that. But the reality is we live in a world of sin. We live in a world where we all sin and we all fall short of the glory of God again and again and again. Now, one of the things that I find so incredibly encouraging is that when I open up my Bible, I don't see perfect people. I see broken people like you and me constantly making mistakes. You see, the Bible doesn't shy away from sin. It doesn't shy away from sexual brokenness. It's full of imperfect, holy people. We don't see holy people anywhere. We see broken people making mistakes, and yet they are loved and forgiven by God. I mean, just look at David. Look at the life of David. He was a man after God's own heart, and yet messed up so badly in this area. Now, when we read these stories, we can know that there is hope for us all. Yes, we all fall short of the glory of God. We are all broken. And yet the good news of Jesus tells us that we can all be forgiven and accepted. You see, he's not looking for perfect people. And he isn't looking for moral perfection. And with that, I think we can all breathe a huge sigh of relief. For a, for a start, none of us are capable of it. We will never achieve complete sexual wholeness in our lifetime. But we can take the next step. I remember in my early 20s, I was part of an Anglican church, and we would, pray the we would speak out the confession every single week, just admitting to the wrong that we have done. And yes, I prayed it, you know, prayed it once a week. I could have prayed it daily. I could have prayed it probably by the hour, minute by minute. We're all broken, but it's a reminder that we mess up all the time. I love what Rich Villadas says. He says that sexual wholeness is not about living something perfectly, but wrestling with something faithfully. 
In other words, it's an ongoing battle. We don't just wake up one morning and all our struggles disappear, but we can wake up and choose to fix our eyes upon Jesus. We can choose to confess where we've done wrong. We can choose to believe the unhelpful patterns of behavior, habits, unhelpful messages, memories, images can be undone in the name of Jesus. Saying yes to Jesus each day, living a life that is not marked by perfection, but by this striving to walk with God, a striving for holiness. Thirdly, and this is incredibly important, it's that we must discern who we give our body to. You know, in the world around us, you probably noticed, but sex is talked about so flippantly. We only have to look at movies, books, media. Culture says that if it feels good, do it. Something that was once so sacred has become something that is given away to whomever, whoever, whenever we see fit, driven by a desire and passion. But the Bible talks about sex very differently. It doesn't ignore desire and passion, but it talks about sex in a way that is completely, completely countercultural. You know, the act of sex is a powerful force. It bonds people together. And I love what the author Anne Boskamp says. She summarizes it like this. She says, your naked body deserves the honor of being shared with someone who is covenanted to never stop loving your naked soul. That's why marriage is so important. When sex is carried out in the context of marriage, it's a beautiful thing. Sexual intimacy wrapped up in the vows that are given to love in the good times and the bad, in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer. Our bodies are sacred. And all this points us towards the union that we have with God himself. Now, if you want to explore more about sexual wholeness, we're running a morning on, on the Saturday, the 7th of May, um, and Saturday, the 7th of May, um, and it's going to be, there's going to be a stream there, conversation for those who are, are single and also for those that are married as well. We'd love you to, to be a part of that. So you can go to the relationships page on the website and all the details you will find there. Now, next, we don't objectify others. And, and I think this is one of the biggest challenges for us today, especially for men. We are surrounded by images that don't help us, TV shows that I think have just removed so many of the restrictions that we used to have. We need to guard our hearts and our minds by restricting what we look at. Jesus talked about the dangers of looking at someone lustfully. The reality is that when we lust in our hearts, it creates relationships in our heads and it reduces others to an object. And when we do that, we dehumanize people who have been made in the image of God. Now, there is so much grace in this area, but if you're stuck today, I want to encourage you to take a step. Confess. Come forward for prayer. You, we won't know what you're coming forward for, but get some support around you. And one of the ways that I think could be particularly helpful is if we have a bunch of uh, tri-groups, and basically can, an opportunity to connect with, to share, and pray with one or two other people. Um, if that would be helpful, you can email trigroups at riversidevineyard.com and we will help you to connect with a couple of other people. So let us instead fix our eyes upon Jesus. And the reason we do that is because he is the source and the end of our longing. You know, we live in a world that tells us that we need to find the perfect someone to be fulfilled in life. 
Even the church often tells us to get married and all our longings will end. If you're married, you probably know that's not right. Sorry, Kathy. No human being can ever satisfy the deepest longings of our soul. I, I love our marriage, the amazing bond that we have, but we can never satisfy the deepest longing within us because God is the source and the end of our longing. All our relationships need to be centered around God. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He is all we will ever need. And yet we need other people. We were made to live life with others. So regardless of our relationship status, we need healthy interactions with others. We need to listen to our bodies, our cravings, our longings, finding ways to healthily interact with others. We can't just ignore our bodies. We need healthy touch. And it's why lockdown was so incredibly hard for those that are on their own. Now, at Riverside, small groups play such an important role in creating space for healthy interactions with others going deeper in our relationships with Jesus, but also eating together, socializing, creating space for deep, meaningful, and healthy relationships with one another. Now, at the end of the Bible, we read that our bodies will be resurrected. Jesus, you see, came to save all of us, our souls and our bodies. So let's invest in our relationship with others. And finally, there is good news for those that are carrying shame. You know, shame is something that we all carry in some way due to things that we've done ourselves, due to things that have been done to us, things that we've seen, struggles that we go through. Some of us look in the mirror and hate our bodies. Others of us have been body shamed by others. Now, in those verses from Genesis 3, Adam and Eve realize that they are naked, so they hide and cover themselves. And God says, where are you? Why are you hiding? He's looking for you. He's looking for each one of us. And the good news is that God has reversed the curse from the garden. He has taken on all that shame on his own body so that we don't have to carry it in ours. This is the good news of the cross. He takes on our shame so we don't have to live in shame. We can live with the freedom that we've sung about this morning because of what he did for us. God is looking for you this morning. He doesn't want you to be hiding anymore. He wants you to come out of the shadows and into his glorious light. He longs to be closer to you. He longs for you to be, live in relationships that are free from shame, relationships where you don't have to hide anymore. This is the beauty of saying yes to Jesus. We can be free. And the Bible tells us that anyone whom the Son sets free is free indeed. He takes on our shame that we might live in freedom. Now, I sit here this morning as someone who struggles in this area, someone who's made mistakes. But as broken people, it's often shame that the devil beats us down with. Jesus offers a new way to do life, one where we are free to live in the fullness of God's love. Whatever has gone before, whatever is happening now, whatever happens in the future, we can live in the fullness of God's love. And I want to land with this today. This is from Rich Villadas again. I just love these words. You know, in Jesus, a new humanity is offered. 
one not shackled by the prison of shame, of sin and shame, but liberated into the fullness of God's love. Yes, Adam and Eve hid behind a tree naked and conquered by shame, but Jesus hung on a tree naked and conquered shame. This is the good news of the gospel. In Jesus, shame doesn't have to have the last word. Our desires no longer need to be disordered. We can live in the freedom that comes in his name. Amen. Can we stand together? Earlier, I mentioned the confession. I, I, you know, I said, we're all broken, aren't we? We're all broken. And, so, and we need to take these moments to say sorry, to come to him. And so the words of the confession are going to come up behind me. This is, this is the kind of prayer that's going to come up behind me. This is, this is the kind of prayer that's, sunk, that's said in an Anglican church each week. So we're going to do something a little bit Anglican this morning. For those of you that are filled with dread, I apologize for that. I think it's incredibly helpful. So let's just pray these words together. Lord God, we have sinned against you. We have done evil in your sight. We are sorry and repent. Have mercy on us according to your love. Wash away our wrongdoing and cleanse us from our sin. Renew a right spirit within us and restore us to the joy of your salvation. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.